Chapter 8. Out of Left Field Sometimes the system goes on the blink, and the whole thing, it turns out wrong. You had a bad day. Daniel Poucher, bad day. Tell me your story. Providing this simple, open prompt in job interviews gives me more insight into a candidate's potential than anything they might tell me about the numbers they've hit or the projects and programs they've steered to a successful outcome. The best stories always show people on a journey. The story doesn't have to be an epic tale. An antidote of how obstacles have been overcome and lessons have been learned will do. That's when I can see the caliber of leader the candidate will be, since leadership skills are forged in the crucible of adversity. In fact, if a candidate proudly tells me, I've never missed a number, I'm not likely to hire them. I don't want to be the one who has to change their diaper, if you'll forgive the colorful metaphor. If you are going to master modern work, you will encounter adversity on the way. Things will never go exactly as you planned. But adversity, change, and yes, failure are not your enemies. They are the opportunities to build the resilience to be the leader you want to be. That's not to say change, adversity, and moments of failure aren't tough. We all have diaper days, and in this chapter, I'll tell you about mine. The real question is, how do you deal with it? We'll explore how to be resilient in the face of nasty surprises, unanticipated mistakes, and failures you'll encounter during your leadership journey. You and your team will need reserves of determination, focus, and positivity at precisely the moments those qualities seem to desert you. Where do those reserves come from? Let's find out by looking at four ways you can build resilience when a problem comes out of left field, which is an American slang meaning unexpectedly, odd, or strange. The phrase comes from baseball, referring to a play in which the ball is thrown from the left fielder to either home plate or first base, surprising the runner. Learning resilience, number one. Lean towards the obstacles. My diaper day came in the spring of 2003. I was leading the sales team at BMC Software in Houston as we approached our March 31st fiscal year end. Typically, almost 40% of what we sold during the entire year was closed in that last quarter. And we'd expect to close almost 80% of that in the last two weeks of the month. But with 11 days to go, the market vanished, thanks to geopolitics. The American-led coalition's invasion of Iraq began on March 20th, prompting every major company and prospective client to shut down decision-making. Our final quarter and fiscal year fell off the table. We missed our numbers and our earnings guidance. Bitter disappointment doesn't come close to describing how I felt. But on the morning of April 1st, I found a handwritten note on my desk from my mentor and one of the company's vice presidents, Joseph Chip Nemesey. Chip wrote, I stopped by this morning, but you were in the gym. Since you looked like you had just watched your puppy get run over last night, I wanted to check in on you this a.m. However, knowing you as well as I do, I know you have moved on to a new year and are walking with confidence and enthusiasm this morning. Your team will expect you to be mad and lack some confidence and conviction after a rough close. And as usual, I know you will surprise them, and they will draw strength from your example. Chip went on to write that he knew I'd never let two or three accounts, a war, and an IT slump affect my confidence or ability to lead. I've kept his note for 15 years. It was a well-timed kick in the behind. Chip wrote things I did not yet feel. He described a course of action I had not yet imagined. With Chip's encouragement, 
I walked in the footsteps of the stranger he introduced me to. What did I learn from the experience? Through whatever successes, highs and lows I've experienced since, I know that on the other side of failure is another chance to win again. Except that if you strive for the extraordinary, you will not always succeed. But also accept that you don't become great at getting extraordinary work done by avoiding risk, surprises, or mistakes. As legendary basketball coach John Wooden of UCLA once said, If you are not making mistakes, then you are not doing anything. I'm positive that a doer makes mistakes. The starting point for resilient leadership is to see yourself on the other side of the surprise, mistake, or failure. Embrace the obstacles. They are the only things that will reveal to you who you really are. Learning resilience number two. Own your resilience. Not everyone has the good fortune to have a chip nemesis on hand to deliver an elegant motivational kick at just the right time. There are techniques leaders can use to build their own resilience and tips they can pass on to their team about dealing with adversity when it strikes. Meet one of the most remarkable people I know, Deborah Cyril. Whatever out-of-left-field surprises I have endured pale by comparison to Deborah's story. Deborah is a successful entrepreneur, author, and television presenter, and she's been twice honored by the Queen of England for her achievements in her native UK and beyond. She has a mental toolkit that served her well through one of the toughest tests imaginable. Adversity was her everyday companion for three and a half months on a solo feat of endurance. She rode across 3,000 miles of ocean by herself in a boat built for two. Deborah's story starts in 2001 when she set off from the Spanish island of Tenerife with her then-husband, Andrew, on a transatlantic rowing challenge bound for Barbados. While Andrew was a top-level club oarsman, Deborah was a novice who had never rowed on the open ocean before. The couple had prepped for their voyage on the quiet waters of the River Thames in London. But just 14 days into their journey, Andrew was forced to drop out. Struck by a pathological fear of the open ocean, facing crippling panic attacks and blackouts, he was taken off the boat by a rescue yacht. Deborah, aged 27 at the time, faced the choice. Abandon the challenge or continue alone. She carried on. Deborah battled with fierce ocean currents and Atlantic storms that could wipe out a day's progress in a matter of hours. Every process on the boat was designed for two people, not one. And, throughout it all, Deborah battled with nagging self-doubt. Could she finish what she started? The challenge took her more than twice the time originally planned. But when she arrived in Barbados, Deborah made headlines around the world. How did she keep going? Deborah says it was a matter of mindset, not magic. So, what was in her mental toolkit? 1. Channel your alter ego. Deborah, 5 feet 2 inches tall, imagined herself as Xena, warrior princess, during the voyage, an Amazonian archetype of female strength and courage from a 1990s TV show. Imagining your alter ego helps you prepare for the work ahead, she says. I don't know how many times I've imagined that I'm the British entrepreneur Richard Branson before a business meeting or negotiation. We all have heroes. Some come from fiction or history like Deborah's. I find my inspiration in everyday heroes, such as a colleague at Workfront who faces every day with determination and optimism despite a stage 4 cancer diagnosis. When I look at what he does and continues to do, I'm inspired. What model of courage or conviction would you channel in a moment of crisis? 
2. Find memory songs. I'm not naturally the kind of person who leaps out of bed full of the joys of spring. Sometimes I need a little help, she says. Turning on music and playlists that stirred positive thoughts and memories helped Deborah stick to her challenge in her darkest hours. When you're struggling for motivation or feeling dragged down by the weight of the problems that you face, what track would lift your spirits? My go-to is Don't Look Back by Boston. You'll hear it whenever I take the stage at a workfront conference. Don't look back. A new day is breaking. It's been too long since I felt this way. I don't mind where I get taken. The road is calling, and today is the day. 3. Have a Contagious Belief I felt I was the luckiest person alive on so many of the days I was out there, Deborah says. She felt good fortune to be engaged in such an adventure. And positive belief and self-belief is contagious. If you're in an office rather than alone in a boat on the open ocean, your belief will be passed on to those around you. Think about Chip's letter. He reminded me that my attitude would help to inspire those around me. It's about seeing a roadblock in proper perspective and understanding that overcoming obstacles is part of every great story. 4. Shift out of your comfort zone to innovate. I was innovating like you wouldn't believe. The comfort zone shifted eventually to where it needed to be, Deborah says as she describes trying to manage a boat designed for two. Today, she applies the same thinking to her businesses. What lies outside the organization's comfort zone that could be a route to innovation? 5. Play the arrival scene. It was never really a solo effort. Without my family and supporters, I never would have made it, Deborah says. She describes imagining achieving her goal, arriving at Port St. Charles in Barbados at the end of her journey and being reunited with her family and friends. Playing the arrival scene, visualizing her goal, kept her motivated at the toughest moments of the challenge. Imagine getting the call that you've won a new contract. Imagine seeing co-workers achieve more than ever before, hitting an extraordinary goal. Tell yourself what that will feel like. This takes us right back to the beginning of the book and the work you've done at the start of your leadership journey. Your arrival scene is the vision you create for your team. 6. Use words wisely. Deborah describes how receiving texts of encouragement from strangers via a satellite phone made her think carefully about the power of words, which are free and in never-ending supply. Choose those words wisely. Be selective about the words you say to yourself, and never gripe or complain. You're only enabling co-workers to do the same. Chip's words were so powerful I've shared them, and the story behind them, with every leader I've ever worked with. 7. Choose your attitude. This is the one thing I had a choice about. Every day I made an attitude choice. I said it out loud. It had to be a positive attitude. Negative attitudes were banned on the boat. Deborah says. The choice you make about your own attitude is a key step in building your resilience. Deborah's mental toolkit is about more than positivity. It's about choosing your outlook when everything feels out of control. It's about the need to step back from the intense stress of the moment to take a longer view. Try Deborah's toolkit whenever you're charting unfamiliar territory or facing adversity. Maybe your challenge will be like the vanishing market I faced in 2003. Perhaps it's a project that's been grounded by an unexpected problem, overrunning costs or shifting scope. 
These attitude tools won't solve the problems you're facing, but they'll put you in a healthier frame of mind to try to determine the best next action. Learning resilience number three, keep communicating. The Bontrager Flare R bicycle taillight has become one of Trek's signature products, a bestseller. Visible at two kilometers in daylight when 80% of bike accidents happen, it's a shining symbol of the company's commitment to both safety and quality. But its birth was a testing time. The engineering team lived through three years of high passion and unexpected obstacles. As Trek's engineering project manager Sean Peterson recalls, the Flare R was a new product line with new technology, and pretty much everyone on the project was new to the team. There was an ambition to export the sensor-rich taillight to new markets around the world. It was a constant emotional battle, says Sean. I had people stopping by my desk, seemingly on the hour, to voice their personal concerns over what was being done. I have passionate engineers, designers. I have passionate people who work in quality and warranty. I have passionate marketing team members. But their vision for the product was not aligning. Ironically, the number one factor behind their passion was bureaucracy, unexpected regulations, testing requirements, costs, and timeframes to certify the product. For example, a single product test to certify for the Chinese market took more than three months, a delay that had not been anticipated or planned for. How did Sean, at the heart of this storm, see the project to a successful conclusion? I realized that just listening to people's concerns and giving them, if nothing else, a sounding board in me helped to ease their concerns, he says. There are some things you can control. There are some things you cannot. But if I hadn't been through the experience, I wouldn't know how to handle probably 80% of the challenges that are thrown at me today. Leadership skills are forged by the challenges you overcome. And there's a practical tip. Keep talking. Keep listening. Just like Sean, be the level head when everyone else around is losing theirs. That's what resilience looks like. Learning resilience number four. Accept that you can't win if you don't risk losing. Back in the 1960s, Green Bay Packers coach Vince Lombardi led his team to five NFL championships in seven years, including three back-to-back victories. The NFL Super Bowl trophy is named in his honor. He once quipped, Show me a good loser, and I'll show you a loser. Lombardi's words are considered gospel in NFL circles. But too often, words like this create the wrong reaction. We read it as, Show me someone who loses, and I'll show you a loser. Lombardi's record was 105, 35-6. 25% of the time he stepped on the field, he lost. 28% of the time, he did not win. He never said, Don't lose. That's not what he meant. He wanted passion and commitment, and he wanted his players to hate losing. I hate to lose too, but I've learned that I won't win all the time, however hard I strive for success. To succeed, you must face the risk of failure and be resilient to whatever comes out of left field. What keeps me going in tough times is the knowledge that success tomorrow lives on the other side of today's failure. There's always another chance to win. The best kind of mistake to learn from is someone else's. Thus far, we've looked for resilience on the other side of failure, but there's an important caveat to this focus on the future. Before you speed ahead, reflect on what went wrong and what was working, 
when that unexpected challenge came out of left field. Or, as veteran project manager Eric Lucas quips, when you're standing in the swamp with alligators all around, don't discard everything that's gone right. Eric is PMO manager at Crowley Maritime Corporation, a family-owned international logistics and transportation business in Florida. He's well-placed to give advice. Through a 28-year career, he has managed about 1,000 projects. Do the math. That's an average of 36 projects per year. Some large, some small program implementations. A run rate that would make most managers tremble. I've never had one where everything goes wrong, says Eric. I've had them where it feels like everything's going wrong. Eric signals a crucial distinction. How you feel is all about resilience and looking forward. But learning lessons is about establishing hard facts and looking back. So take the time to reflect on the good and the bad after a point of failure. Hold a project debrief. Every organization does that, right? Well, that's not what former U.S. Navy SEAL Commander Mark McGinnis sees when he visits businesses these days. In 9 out of 10 cases, he sees an absence of corporate battle rhythm. A full cycle of planning, briefing, execution, and debriefing on every project. He's not talking about an end-of-year or half-year review, but routine debriefing about work in progress as milestones are reached and key initiatives completed. Following that rhythm is what distinguishes truly elite teams from merely good teams. According to Mark, After a mission, we immediately come together in a hallowed environment where there's no rank, no blame, no privilege, no seniority, and we sit down and talk unemotionally about the successes and failures of the mission. It's important to capture both, the successes because we want to continue to do things that are working, and the failures because we can't afford to make the same mistake twice. If we repeat mistakes in my world, it has catastrophic results. The outcome of a SEAL team's debrief isn't kept within the mission squad. The lessons are open to every SEAL, from the top to bottom rank. I'm accelerating everyone's experience, whether they're going out and doing operations or not, says Mark. And we don't do that in the corporate world. It's time we did. After all, when dealing with the unexpected, the best kind of mistake to learn from is someone else's.